From Vintage City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, it's the Vintage Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Sanders. Uh, we're back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We've been working through the book of Corinthians uh, systematically uh, just because it's a book that we felt like was unique for where we were at because the Corinthian culture was a young culture and, and the Apostle Paul was teaching them and sharing with them really what it looks like to, to do this family thing in, in the kingdom. So last week we looked at one of the unique gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to the people of God. And Paul will say that he gives unique gifts for the purpose of helping the world around us. One of those unique gifts was the gift of healing, that to some people he gives the ability to heal. And we looked at several different aspects of that. And one of them was an aspect that I thought was just an obvious thing to look at, which is how did Jesus work in healing? How did Jesus move in healing? He's our type, he's our shadow, he's the one we're to learn from. And so we just asked the question, how did Jesus move in healing? And one of the interesting things that we discovered in that was Jesus never prays for healing. He releases and declares healing. That would be easy for us to say, well, that's because he's Jesus. We're not. But if we study the early church, the early church model was that they would just say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. So the challenge for us was, what does it look like to begin to step into that model? Because it's what we see in the scriptures. Well, this week I had a couple emails and text messages come through. And one of them I thought was worth answering publicly because it might be one that everybody was wondering. And the question was, hey, what about James 5? Where James 5 says, if any of you are sick, call for the elders, have them come and pray for you. Is it wrong to pray for for the sick? I want to clarify that for a second. No, it's not wrong. Anytime we're looking to the Lord as the source of healing, I think that's a good thing. The point of last week was just us asking a question, how did Jesus minister healing? Because I want to build my life after him. And it's really easy for us to build it on maybe folklore or history. I just want to go back to, to, to the man, ask how he did it. So if, you, if at your, this point in your life, you're like, I'm just more comfortable asking the Lord to heal. That's okay. I still think God is merciful and gracious and loves to honor those cries. So, but we wanted to clarify that so nobody was confused. By no ways were we espousing that it was wrong to pray for healing, just challenged by the fact that Jesus releases it and declares it. This week, we're going to take a look at two passages, I mean, two parts of this passage. One is the power, the Holy Spirit will give a unique gift, the power to perform miracles, and he gives the ability to prophesy. Looking at these, these two things, uh, if, I, if I've read my clock correctly. I currently have 19 minutes right now. I think I'm going to need 16 of those. So you may get out three minutes early or you may not. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you. It's always you who's the guide and the teacher. There's never a person that stands here that's the teacher. We do our best to facilitate a place for you to open our hearts and our minds to see the scriptures because we believe these scriptures are capable of shaping us and reproving us and changing us. At the end of the day, our goal is to look more like Jesus. And so we invite you now to come and bring your revelation. Amen. He gives to one person the power to perform miracles. What is miraculous power? Because we can read this and it kind of gets, it, it might just become something like the word sale in our culture where it's like, yeah, we, I need a miracle. We don't really think about what it is. So let's define what, the, what miracles are. It's a moment in the natural realm 
that is met by supernatural activity that transcends natural law. It's a moment in the natural realm that is met by supernatural activity that transcends natural law. It is not something explainable by human means. It's literally heaven invading earth. Now, where, where, do, you, where do you get that? How do you come up with that definition? Well, there's, there's three or four places in Jesus' life. One of them is, in Jesus' ministry, he shows us that he has supernatural power to, to overcome death. And I'm not talking about the cross. I'm talking about Lazarus. Jesus has a friend who dies. Jesus is away. He's not near the family. So Lazarus' sisters were super frustrated because they felt like Jesus had, had hung him out to dry. Lazarus is dead. He's, he's, he's for real dead. There's no question. They're already beginning the funeral arrangements. And Jesus walks in and with a word says, Lazarus, get up. The scripture says that he rose from the dead. Supernatural authority to transcend natural law. Early in Jesus' ministry, there's another event where, where he, he shows that he has a supernatural ability to trump chemical law. He's at a, a wedding feast and they run out of wine. And after some conversation with his mom, he decides he's going to heal it. He's going to heal the situation. He's going to fix it. He's going to help honor this guy who didn't order enough wine. So Jesus says to the servants, grab me these buckets of water, these big barrels, these vats. And when you scoop into the water, go ahead and serve it. And as they poured it, the scripture says it was wine. It went from water. Now, I'm not a chemist, but I do know that composition of water is H2O. I have no idea what the composition of wine is. I know it's not H2O. I've never gone to the doctor and had them say, you need to drink more wine. I've regularly had them say, you should up your water intake. Because they're different properties. They're, they're different substances, right? But Jesus proves in a moment that he can just shift and do something in the natural that's not natural. There's a different moment where he's got 5,000 men plus families with him. So the, most scholars believe there's probably 12,000 or so at this time that they've followed him and he's healing the sick and he's teaching them and he's just loving on them and they all get hungry. It's been a long day. The disciples say to Jesus, hey, send them away and tell them to go get food. And Jesus says to the disciples, you feed them. And they look at him and they look at each other and they're like, okay, you're crazy. And he's like, what do we have here? Well, we have, all we've got is these five loaves and these two fish. He says, okay. And what Jesus does in a moment is shows us that he supernaturally has the ability to duplicate matter. Take it out of Bible terminology, just put it in sci-fi terminology. He duplicates matter. And he takes these five loaves and these two fish and he multiplies them and he feeds close to 12,000 people with them and has 12 baskets left over. And then there's the one that's probably maybe every eight or nine-year-old child in the summertime has tried to duplicate this miracle where they try to run as fast as they can out onto the swimming pool only to discover they still sink. You see, because there's a moment in Jesus' life where he needs to get from one place to another. The disciples are all out in a boat. And so he walks out onto the water and stays on top of the water and doesn't sink. And he, he trumps gravity. He trumps the laws of buoyancy. You say, well, great, cool, fun Jesus stories. What's the point? Paul shares with the Corinthian church, I need you to understand that the Holy Spirit gives these 
opportunities and these abilities to the church. And I would say these takeaways are simple for us. Number one, miracles are possible. Miracles are possible. And the Holy Spirit is the source of this miraculous power. And so it should cause us to ask a question, why does God release miracles in our day and in our time? Why would God release miracles? Anybody, any thoughts? Yeah, shout it out. Show his own glory. Any, any other ideas? It's not a test. You can't fail. You can only try. Bring, bring people's hearts to him. Right. I think we all know why God uses the miraculous realm. It's because God is after people. And there's very few things in the world that causes people to push pause like the miraculous. When they see something they can't explain, all of a sudden the arguments against God fall away and they have to come to this conclusion, I don't know. I love the miraculous realm. I love the supernatural realm because it causes people to realize I'm not as big as I think I am. There's somebody bigger than me. If there's somebody bigger than me, maybe I should consider that I should follow said person. So my question is, how do we walk in the miraculous? Because it's easy for us to read about it. It's easy for us to look at it and go, yeah, it's a cool thing. It's a good thing. But how do we walk in it? Three simple things that I think are, are the, the way we posture ourselves and position ourselves in the miraculous. Number one, learn to align your thinking with the scriptures. In other words, if it's in the scripture and the scriptures say it, I'm going to believe it and I'm going to learn how to walk in it. Secondly, Let's go back to the first one for a second. I know that might seem really obvious, but we'd be amazed how many conversations that I have with, with believers who just don't let the scriptures trump their opinions. And I think step one is to let the scriptures trump my opinion. The second thing that we can do is live connected with the Holy Spirit. You say, what do you mean by that? Did you know that the scriptures say, do not quench, do not grieve the Holy Spirit? It's possible for us to grieve or, or damage our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And the way we do that is we live in ways that are not congruent with Scripture, and we don't listen to His voice. And so it's important, if we're going to be people that are postured, positioned to walk in the miraculous, that we stay connected to the Holy Spirit, and we're in a life-giving relationship with the Holy Spirit, because it's never going to work in that moment where I'm like, oh, I know I've been super offensive to you, but this person needs a miracle. No, I want to stay in that relationship with him and protect that. I want to encourage us, protect your relationship with the Holy Spirit. And the third thing, which is so obvious, every situation you face in life, instead of assuming we know what's right and what needs to happen, when we face a difficulty or we face a problem, what does it look like to just say, hey, Lord, what do you want to do right here? What happens if he says, I want to do this, and he lays something on us, and we're like, you want to do what? And, we've, and in that moment, we get invited into the miraculous. You see, because with the Holy Spirit, I want to remind us of something. You remember when the angel speaks in Luke to Mary, and he says, with God, all things are possible. I just want to remind us, the entire New Testament is laced with this truth. Impossibility is possible in the kingdom. We are to be a people that can see things 
that are impossible become possible. So Paul will go on and say, and to another person, he gives the ability to prophesy. And this root word means God-inspired speech. And it's really the idea of being able to hear or know or sense God's voice and then be willing to share it with others through speech. For some of us, that probably happens in conversations where we're sitting over a cup of coffee and, and there's a sense that God's breathing and he's, sense, he's releasing something to us for that person. And so we'll share it, we'll say it. For, and still others, maybe it happens when you're praying for people. Maybe even, in, even during bread and cup time, you're praying with somebody and you just get a sense of the Lord saying something and so you release it to that person. Maybe it happens when you're in a Bible study and you're talking through scriptures and God highlights something and you feel like you're supposed to talk to that person about it. For other, for the creative types, there's, a, there's a, a definition in this word that's interesting. And one of the definitions of this word prophesy is a poet. It's the idea of allowing creativity to witness or speak for God. And all of you that are creatives here, I want to encourage you that that creative nature is something that God wants to inhabit prophetically. And he wants to use that creativity that's in you, whether it's dance or whether it's music or whether it's sculpting. He wants to use that creativity to witness to people what he wants to say. So there's a couple principles that come out of Paul's statement here. He gives people the ability to prophesy. The first one's really obvious. God talks. You see, it's, it's, it's one of my favorite things to highlight because there's a large segment of the church that believes that God used to talk and now everything he wants to say is in the Bible only. I love the scriptures would never call us not to, not to live in them, but I need you to know God still talks. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. God has a lot of stuff to say to people. Because God loves to encourage people. You see, that's the prophetic. How many grew up in a place prophetically where it was a little heavy-handed and harsh? So I grew up in a culture where the prophetic was used to call you out. How many have heard the term read your mail? And it was always this exposing thing where it was like God was shining the searchlight on the dark places of our life. And can I just tell you, that doesn't even track with Scripture. The point of the prophetic is to encourage and to promote people towards him. So God talks. The second thing that Paul really reveals here is that God, God uses us most times to say what he wants to say. I think we, if we're honest, most of us would just assume he talked directly to the people, not to us. Because there's that, that terror of, hey man, I feel like God's given me something for you. And we have to start that conversation and begin to enter that process. And it's just easier to kind of keep to ourselves. But, but that's what Paul's saying here is he gives people the ability to declare and prophesy. So my question is, how do we learn to hear and to walk in his prophetic voice? Simply, first thing is spend time with him. And while that seems so obvious, Moses, how many think Moses knew God pretty well? It's said of Moses that he would sit with God face to face the way a man sits with a friend. So Moses gives a tutorial on what it looks like to build a relationship face to face with God where we hear his voice. It's in Psalm 91. For some of you, this may be something you're familiar with and you're doing it already and it's great. Be encouraged. For others, maybe not. See, Psalm 91 says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And there's some principles that come out of this. What Moses is giving us is a tutorial of what it looks like to build that encounter with God where we hear his voice. The first one is the word he. 
It literally in the Hebrew means that man or that woman. It's proprietary. What it means is that each of us, if we are to develop an encounter with God, have to make the choice to develop that encounter. I can't make it for you. You can't make it for me. It is a unique proprietary choice each person has to make. This next phrase, who dwells, in the Hebrew, the word literally means a systematic, regular, habitual occurrence. And I would say that, that you make the choice and then you make that choice a habit. It's a habitual discipline. We're not talking about, hey, I talk to God once in a while. We're talking about a daily, regular encounter. How do we know that that's what it looks like? If we look at Adam and Eve, how many times a day or a week did God talk to them? It came every evening in the cool of the day. He set the pattern to encounter us daily. It was his principle. And I think it's still the principle. And I would say to us, if we want to be people that live in the voice of God and, and live in this beautiful prophetic encounter, we need to be people that make a systematic, regular habit of getting alone with God. You see, it's that word alone that's important because he who dwells in the secret place, this word secret place literally means to, to withdraw or to be alone. It's not, can I, can I debunk some things that might make us upset? It's not riding in the car saying, I got some Jesus time. It's not going shopping without the kids saying, I got some Jesus time. Kids weren't here. Those are great, good time to talk to God, but I'm talking about getting alone, isolating, pulling away, withdrawing, to sit with the king of the universe and begin to talk and to hear his voice. That's the first thing we can do to become a prophetic people, people that walk in this gift, walk in this grace. The second thing is invest in learning what matters to him. Say, so what do you mean? Study the scriptures. Invest in learning what matters to him. Psalm 25 says this, friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him, and with them he shares the secrets of his covenant. This word friendship literally means assembly or counsel. So friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him, and with them he shares the secrets of his covenant. There's a progression that's happening here. It's a psalm of David. So David's one who, who knows God well, and David's saying friendship, this intimate counsel, this place where, where you and God talk as friends, it's set apart a reserve for some people, which means if I want to walk in that, i got to be one of those people it's reserved for. Well, what are those people? They're the people who fear him. Proverbs 14, 2 will say it this way. Those who stay on the right path fear the Lord. Psalm 119 will say it this way. Your word is like a lamp that guides my feet. It's a light that shows the path I should take. Put it all together and what it is is those who will live according to the scriptures, who allow the scriptures to govern their life, to be the guideline, these are those who fear the Lord. And so those people are the ones that he invites into this place of intimate counsel. It means there is to be the discipline in my life daily of time alone here in his voice and time alone in the scriptures. You see, I don't have that kind of time. Priorities are a term that we use. It's a term that we use, and what it really means is it's an identifier of the things that are important to us. I don't mean it to be harsh. I just mean it to be honest. If the voice of God's a priority in my life, I'll make time for it. 
If knowing who he is is a priority in my life, I'll make time for it. And he has such a passion to release his voice into this culture. My heart cries that there's an elevation of the prophetic like never before because there's a pursuit of his voice like never before in us. You see, because God has stuff to say and stuff to release all over the world. And he's longing for it to be us that does it. Not just on a Sunday morning, but in the marketplace, at work. His longing is that we be a people that are found in the secret place with him and we know his scriptures so he can begin to release into the marketplace his voice. Let's stand this morning. I really do believe it's this simple. Learning to hear his voice in a secret place prepares me to release it in the public place. Father, we want to be those people that see the miraculous and the prophetic released into our culture. Holy Spirit, this week we ask that you would elevate our awareness of you. Lord, if there are issues in our lives where we've been living out of step with you or we've been violating your heart and we've grieved you, we just ask forgiveness for that. Ask that you would come this morning and highlight those things. And Lord, for those of us that have wrestled with the discipline to get alone with you, I just ask that there would be a sweet grace here today to start that habit fresh again. We love you and we honor you. May your face shine upon us. May your hand be upon our vehicles as we drive home today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Love you guys. See you Wednesday night at prayer. Thanks for listening. For more great content, please visit us on the web at vintagecitychurch.com.